Welcome to the Brown Posey Press Show, part of the Books Big Network, a program dedicated to independent and self-published authors. This show will examine new and unique works of literature, learn about their creators, and discuss the industry. And now your host, Tori Gates. Set in Down East Maine, the Saners tell the story of the rough, even cutthroat world of fishing. Beset by competition, factory fishing, and one's own life choices, a tale emerges. Johnny Cavelli, set to get off Granite Island for better things, now steps in to aid his ailing father and enter the family business on his own. The challenges he faces from those around him and outside forces are brought to life by Anastasia Marie Casella. An author of short stories and poems, she brings us the works Letter to My Brother, The Rogue Bear and Other Short Stories, and The Saners, and she joins us from her home in Jefferson, Maine. Anastasia, welcome. Well, hi, how are you? I am doing fine. In December, I was supposed to come see you, and, well, real life got in the way, so how it goes, right? Yes. (laughs) Well, let's begin with this. Uh, The Saners came across to me as really intriguing and being a native new englander i picked up on a lot of this uh this is a fishing story which your father began can you tell us a little about the the genesis of all this well i just remember um most of my younger days him sitting with a typewriter typing this manuscript out and one fingered typing was all he could do and um, after he passed, my mother gave me the, the manuscript that was just about finished. Mm-hmm. And I determined that I would like to finish it. And she gave me permission to to go ahead with it. And I did. And uh, how did you fit your writing style with his? Because from reading it and preparing for this interview, I could tell there were kind of two different hands or an your, in your dad's case, your, your dad typed like my dad did. He used two fingers and he called it hunt and peck. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, there's two different hands here, but, but they merge really well. How, um, how did you fit your style into his? Um, I just basically went along with what he had and what my knowledge was because I knew my, I, I call it a privy to um, what I like to call like an older education. Mm-hmm. So I think my my older education style just slid right in with what he had. And I just, if I found something that was a little off, it was because I was familiar with it and was able to correct it and produce it to the way it is today. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about older education, I'm assuming you're kind of talking about probably the same type of I guess, I don't know if you'd call it a classic education, but we certainly got taught a lot of different things in school that maybe aren't taught as much in public school and in private schools today. Um, I assume, are we talking about like civics classes rather than social studies? Are we talking about different things like that? Um, barely. Just... Um, um... Somebody asked me the other day about how much do I put of myself in my novels. Right. Every one of these novels has myself in there because it helps me keep track of the characters and the Mm storyline and action that's going on. So I kind of put myself into one or two of the characters as I was typing this manuscript out 
<laughs> on a computer. And it's hard to keep us out, isn't it? <laughs> no, I had the conversation yesterday with a friend of mine who was working on my website, and she indicated that no matter what you write, you end up in there, even if you, despite your best efforts to keep yourself out. And that was early writing for me. It was, I was not ready to talk about me. And I started to write about the people around me and the characters around me and, and the things that sort of came to me. And then later on, I began to realize I can't escape from it. I'm in here, whether I like it or not, but I think it does humanize it. It makes it a little more relatable for everyone. It does. And my, my first collaboration was my um, poetry, mm-hmm. uh, Anastasia's Mind Fog. And like you said, a ta- uh, writing about other people, yeah. That that is my poetry. Is my other people that I know, other places that I know, animals that I know, and just so much of myself was put into that. And then the short stories were the same thing. The short stories evolved from someone telling me something or something happening, and I could take a one line and make it a short story. Mm-hmm. I definitely want to look into some of your other writings and ask about that. Uh, do you have a set style, do you think, in terms of writing, is it, is, or is it just what comes out? Um, I think it's stalked. Somebody told me that they were being stalked and they got sent flowers and uh, a tree and this or that. And I just ran with that one idea of being stalked and come up with the story and added my character uh, preferences mm-hmm. to it. That's... So it, it's it's a style of my own, all my own, I guess. That's cool. Well, when people from away, and I would be one since I'm from Vermont, um, when they think of Maine, they think of fishing, they think of lobsters, they think of lobstermen, but there's other parts of the industry. You talk about seining, and there's a lot of talking about the different uh, parts of the business that most people don't know anything about. Uh, this style of work, seining, how did this make it a story for you? I'm familiar with, as a youngster, um, I, was, I was born here in Maine. We went to Connecticut for a few years, and then we came back. And being down east with the fishermen, whether it's lobster or fish, you begin to learn about it. Even if you're not performing the function, you see somebody doing it and you recognize it as seining and you recognize the boats that are necessary to be seining because they have to have special trawlers on them to carry the nets. So you learn the difference when a trawler comes in or a seining boat comes in or a barge comes in just from living life. Right. Well, we're going to get into this story and the players when we come back. Anastasia Casella is my guest. Her book, The Saners, is what we're talking about here on the Brown Posey Press Show. We'll be right back. Stay with us. 
Sunbury Press Books brings you the history of Pennsylvania. Check out Lancaster's Golden Century, 1821-1921 by H.M.J. Klein, Donald Kent's The French Invasion of Western Pennsylvania, or the Keystone Tombstone series written by Joe Farrell and Joe Farley. Click on the Books tab at sunburypress.com and find works of history, fiction, and nonfiction from the Keystone State. We're back. The Saners and the author... Anastasia Casella is with me, and we talked a little bit at the beginning about our protagonist, Johnny Cavelli. Tell us about this young man and you know, where he's from and what he's facing uh, at the start of this story. I'm, he, he has a brother earlier when we started the story about Johnny as an adult, and we follow him trying to be a saner and uh, carry on with general life uh, activities. And uh, bigger, meaner people are stepping into the territory of uh, saning and causing a lot of problems. So Johnny goes and gets his uncle Vittorio to help him. And that brought in a part of the business I didn't expect, but it's very interesting. Um, the Before I get to the next question, I want to ask a little bit about Johnny's dad, Giuseppe. He has, you, you put a brief biography of this man, and in, in his story in itself was so interesting of where he came from and how he arrived. That's like the angle of Italian immigrants. They came here, applied their fishing skills to this part of the U.S. Um, how much did immigration play a part in the industry up there. It must be incredibly well embedded. Uh, the Italian side is actually my father's side. He is first generation born in America. Mm-hmm. So that's his gift to this book is um, the immigration. Part of it is probably from his mom and dad's story. Mm-hmm. So that's where I figure that comes in from. Right. And you have the interesting sort of antagonists that, that float around. I'm going to talk about a couple of them here. Uh, one of them is Johnny's brother, Tony, and he different brothers from the same family. Uh, how, does, how does he come about? <laughs> um, well, from there you got me because... Tori, I have to tell you, I have not read my own books since I edited them and put them out there. So I have 10 novels that I try to keep track of in my brain, and there are some characters I I just I couldn't tell you. All right. Well, no, I understand that feeling. I have to refer <laughs> back to my books sometimes and like... Who was that? And because I'll get I'll get asked questions or I'll I'll be making notes and then I look over them and I'm like, no, it's perfectly normal. It's just like we have we have such an extended family in our heads, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now I, I just have not uh read them and I I guess as I learned the hard way doing a podcast. You probably want to go through your book again before you do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it comes out that way, but it's cool. <laughs> um, but no, as I said, you know, we learn an awful lot about the business of fishing in the first chapter. And there's plenty of drama here because there's a storm. Johnny's father and brother are missing. And 
One of the things that it's kind of like the unfortunate truth and people don't realize it where it's talked about right away is uh, the buying for the day is done and you hear people complaining about it and it's like you're going to get paid when you bring your catch in. Exactly. Yes. And that's a hard that that's a hard thing when you really need the money and you need that you need that revenue and then all of a sudden they're like ah we're done for the day and you're like you're stuck with a boatload of something. Exactly, a boatload of something. Whether you're fishing, clamming, worming, they all have their cutoff points, and if you don't make it in there by by that time, you're stuck with your with your your daily catch, mm-hmm. and maybe you can find an all. Uh, an alternative uh, air catch for the day, but sometimes they have to make plans to save the fish for the next day and keep them alive. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, it's a difficult life to lead. Yeah, it certainly is. And uh, let's just say without giving it all away, it's like, it seemed to come straight out of a detective novel <laughs> and that, brings Johnny into that sphere and it's part of that uh, the the rougher side of the business which I did not anticipate as I read the story but it's like you know with you know with the the factory boats and that kind of thing and all of a sudden here come some people that sound like they belong in a Mickey Spillane novel and they're up in Maine and it's like ah here's something we can move in on and now was there an experience of those kinds of folks from your family's history, um, not saying maid or mafia, but you know some of the wise guys, some of the real tough guys, were they around? Did you run into them? Yes, um, most definitely they were around. Um, the Italian host in Americans, um, they would be you know fresh over from Italy or Sicily. And you had fights between Italian and Sicilians mm-hmm. as well. So, you know, like when, when I was growing up is, you are Italian, you are not Sicilian. Uh-huh. So that, that part of it, again, I think was more um, my father's understanding right. of those wise guys than my understanding of it. So it's a little hard when your co-author is not available to explain, you know, their part in it. (laughs) Right. Well, one of the things that was cool was there's the gritty down East speak and it floated through, obviously through your father and yourself uh, of the talk the the way that uh, Mainers speak to anyone outside New England, it sounds possibly like another language, but it lends to the characters. And I thought it flowed really well because, uh, you know, Vermonters, we have our own colloquial expressions and they're not that much different from Maine. But uh, did you have any thoughts about having to change it or clearing it up? Because maybe other readers were like, you know, a reader from another part of the country would have been like, what is he talking? about <laughs> well yes I as a matter of fact I had suggested to a friend of mine that I redo the entire story just in proper English mm. without the dialect so there's a, a caveat 
that goes with this book, which is um, it is done in Down East dialect and it's in, intentionally written yeah. in true Down East main dialect. Uh, I just feel it it needed to stay that way right. to prove the Granite Island people uh, have their own world. Yes. And that's very true with any society. Uh, some of my books are set in Japan, and I had some issues with my editors and others who were like, because I used honorifics, a more correct, polite style, because that's how a lot of the characters would have been. And I had to include little glossaries at the beginning so that people would understand what some of these things mean. And I did it partly because I wanted to keep to the style as best I could, and I didn't want to westernize uh, the Japanese characters or the people too much. It is changing over there. People's style of speech is changing, but uh, I couldn't be like some authors like Haruki Murakami who do just leave those things off and they write in the Western style and it just works for them. And I just thought, well, in this case, I guess it works for me, but no, I certainly knew what everybody was talking about. And I think the average person that reads into it and thinks on it should be just fine. Cool. (laughs) And of course the other thing too, when we talk about, uh, I spent plenty of time in Maine vacationing in the mid coast for, for many years. And I, of course I went to school up there and I owned a home in Wiscasset for a couple of years, and uh, you run into certain people, and you knew about them before you got there, but I was always a big fan of Mar- the late Marshall Dodge and the Burton I stories, the great stories that that he spun, and then people like Tim Sample carried on, and I, I, got, to, I got to know Tim and his then-wife Patty some years ago, and just um you get immersed in something a little bit different and it's kind of fun definitely definitely um being typing this story out with the the old-fashioned language uh dialect i should say not old-fashioned language but the dialect reminds me of my son when he listened to my grandfather speak Mm -hmm. this would be his great-grandfather and I'd say, we're going to go see Grampy today. Mm-hmm. And he's, you mean we're going to talk to rah, rah, rah? Because <laughs> he, he just couldn't get that down east accent and that fisherman's drawl mm-hmm. put together to understand it enough. <laughs> I get it. I, I do get it. And it was, uh, it was always interesting to hear because... Um, I was also, I had the great fortune to work with for a brief period and get to know John McDonald. And of course, he was an historian. He was a talk show host. He was a storyteller. And he told Downey stories of of that kind. And John was just so every inch a Downeaster, so much a Mainer just by his manner and his voice and the way he spoke. And yet he could talk about anything and it was it was wonderful when he would just shift into his character a little bit, and you would <laughs> you would just get the biggest kick. I miss John, <laughs> but yeah, we're going to talk more about your works now after this. Uh, Anastasia Casella, the author of The Saners, is with us on the Brown Posey Press Show. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. 
Sunbury Press Books brings you the work of independent authors. If fiction, whether historical, murder mysteries, or spy thrillers take your fancy, check out Milford House Press. Releases of interest include The Class Assignment is Murder by Carolyn Kleinman, Dead Man Who Walks Away, Parts 1 and 2 by Herbert Dean Ely, or The Immigrant's Wife by J.B. Brooks. Explore by clicking on the Milford House tab at sunburypress.com. We're back. Anastasia Casella is my guest on the Brown Posey Press Show today. The Saners is a novel that we've been talking about, which brings us um, the rough and ready and the tough side of fishing and the industry. Now, we talked about your father's writing and where this story comes from through his own hands and your own. In terms of growing up, what were your literary and reading experiences like? Because that always sets a tone for anything that we do down the road. I read every classic there was. Um, we read um, uh, the Swiss Family Robinson stories, mm-hmm. um, the uh, Mowgli in the Jungle. Uh, forget the name. <laughs> the Jungle Book, right? Yeah. Jungle Book. There we go. Um, just those at those times, those were classics and they were important to read. And we were reading them nonstop. Um, our lifestyle was such that we were, you know, at home most of the time. And it was a very quiet kind of lifestyle. So we did a lot of reading to pass the time. We would read the um, Reader's Digest condensed hardcovered books. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister was a Harlequin romance reader. Mm-hmm. Um, so from an early age, I was very familiar with different authors and, and um, different genres. And I didn't get into one specific genre for myself. And I started writing when I was about 16 and started writing for the school yearbook. And when I'm, got together with Theodosia. She was the one who talked me into putting my poetry together and putting it into print. And we're talking Theodosia McLean of the Book Marketing Global Network. She's been a huge help to me too. She's wonderful. She is absolutely wonderful and she works very hard and she was very encouraging. So I went and I put all my poems together and I put all my formatting together and everything. And that was my actual first in print book uh, past the Saners. Very cool. I want to ask you about some of these because they were really intriguing from looking into them myself. Um, The rogue bear is interesting for on so many levels and (laughs) in, in a place called Cherryfield, Maine, which is where John McDonald always used to say he came from, where does the rogue bear come from? It came from uh, one of them one-liner instances that I used to create a story. I was out on my deck in Cherryfield, Maine, in my ranch house, yeah. and I had just filled the bird feeders on the railing, and I went inside, and my husband at the time said, honey, you ain't going to believe this. You need to come see this. And I went out and I looked out the kitchen window and there was a bear standing where I had just been standing, putting food in the feeders. Wow. And that just sparked my brain into all these thoughts and into a massive story. And I 
put it down on paper. Wow. <laughs> he, he was waiting for you. <laughs> he, he definitely, he had to have been down behind the deck in order to get up there that fast. Wow. Yeah, those are the kind of things that, you know, we have those stories. We have those odd little encounters. And it's, uh, those are, and yeah, it's like you say, it's just like one line and suddenly there's a story. And it's, that's a fun thing to have because I've it, had that it, happen. It, it is very fun. And, and it, it also causes a lot of grief in life because <laughs> you could be parked somewhere and, you know, a storyline hits you. The, the parking brake's going to come off and we're going to travel downhill and we're going to end up in the lake because he parked on an incline. Yeah. You know? Got that. <laughs> well, the one other that I really do need to ask in the time we have left here, letter to my brother went behind another door. And it was a dark one, but it was also a very relatable one. Could you tell us a little about that? Uh, it, it's an actual letter I wrote. Okay. I, I wrote it and I mailed it to him and I decided that it was worth putting in uh, print what it was about, why why it was about, because we have no relationship whatsoever. I have not seen my brother in 40 years. Wow. And from the content of it, it was, this is a, he seems a pretty disagreeable character and so <laughs> unlike you and is is you know it's like we're products of our own environment and it's like he just seems to have veered off into his own way which is not unheard of and some of the things he that he he you have him you, that you talk about it's like oh god i know people like that oh <laughs> yes it's kind of, and it's a little scary when you think about it it is it is and to have people say to you you know i do know somebody like that um, and they don't know where to go or what to do. And this was a big family thing where people would say, you should call DHS, you should do this, you should do this, but nobody would do anything about what was going on in that home. Yeah. So I got brave. I put it to paper. I mailed it to him. He took me to court. <laughs> really? <laughs> he took me to court. He wanted a writ of protection from me. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> the judge laughed at him and said, take your personal matters home. <laughs> wow. That's something. Well, you know what it did is that opened a door for people. It let people in. And that's one of the, the beauties of our writing and writing about some of the stuff we do, the personal issues I've written about or from other people's perspectives. That opens a door to let people touch that within themselves. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And uh, you, you hope it helps heal a little bit. That's what I hope for at least some of the things I've written. Yes. Uh, my bipolar book um, was one that somebody actually put in a review. If I had not read this book, I would not have known what my family member was going through. Mm -hmm. and that really made me feel good. In terms of that, I mean, I've written about it in my first book, Parasite Girls, one of the side characters is bipolar, and it was inspired in part by uh, a close friend of mine who married my late brother, 
rather later in their lives. And her bipolarity was not manifest until her adult years. We didn't quite know. And then we saw it. And it was something that most of my family, it's one of those things where being that I'm the youngest, it's kind of like the stuff you don't talk about. But now we do talk about it more because those kinds of things. I mean, uh, my family, uh, my parents grew up in the in the 20s. They grew up during the Great Depression. And in those days, you didn't talk about cancer. You didn't talk about what so-and-so is doing to such and such. And you, you kept that in-house. Or if it was somebody else's family, it was none of your damn business. And we're a little more open about that now, I suppose. Definitely. And um, I felt the need to put my bipolar story out there um, because I was what I call wackadoodle when <laughs> when started when because I got adult onset bipolar as well. Okay. So when it started, it was like, what is going on? Why am I crazy? Why am I doing this? Why do I have these behaviors? So as I learned about the bipolar, it wasn't that you um, are bipolar, you have bipolar. Yes. And the big difference between those two words. Mm -hmm. And um, it had to be said. And so I put it out there. And it just, like I said, the, the review that said it helped them understand, I hope that it helps a lot of other people understand the normal behaviors from a bipolar person. Exactly. I have both depression and anxiety and I've had it all my life and they do not play well with each other at times. And I have found it, it gets easier as you get older. I don't know if my, my brain chemicals are changing or what, but I mean, I've been off medication for a, over a decade, which I'm thankful for. And I realize, like uh, this person I speak of, Bridget, was on numerous medications and they had to constantly be changed. And um, she read Parasite Girls when it came out and told me in one of her more lucid moments, she said, that character is me every damn day of my life. You got it. You understand. And I was like, oh, I'm glad that I did. I was really afraid that I wasn't going to get it right. But I knew other people who suffer from varying degrees of it. And that's right. It's you have it. You are not it. That's a great thing to point out. Yeah, I've gone through a lot of therapy and I've gone through a lot of uh, psychiatry and and whatnot. And I uh, I actually um, was a candidate for ketamine treatments mm. for my depression. Right. And so I had ketamine treatments for a year and a half, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And I haven't had a bout of depression in five years. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I'm glad for you. And I'm, I'm glad we got to talk. Uh, before we go, uh, I must ask this because I always ask authors this. Uh, for anybody who's got an idea for a book or doesn't know how to proceed, what's the one best piece of advice you give someone? My best advice to them is to keep putting it down, um, whether you're typing it or, or it's on paper. 
to continually put down all the thoughts. They don't have to all jive in the same um, category, in the same order. But if you get your mental thoughts down on paper or on your laptop or your tablet, you got the basis for your book already. All right. Anastasia Casella has been my guest. She is the author of The Saners and a number of other works. I am glad we finally got to talk. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to the Brown Posey Press Show with your host, Tori Gates. Find his works, including Searching for Roy Buchanan, Call It Love, and Shake Hands with the Devil, along with more independent authors of fiction and nonfiction at sunburypress.com. Thank you for listening. This is the BookSpeak Network.